a safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's Passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. Welcome to Passion, a show about love, sex, and relationships. So it is Trouble Tuesday tonight, so I will answer your questions. But before I do that, let me just tell you about my day, which was as exciting as it gets for someone like me. I got to spend most of the day with Dr. Ruth, Dr. Ruth Westheimer, who is the she's a pioneer in the field of sexual health education, the first one to be on the radio and on television talking about sex, and nobody does it like she does, simply because her accent and she's little and she's old and just hearing her say the words had people, um, I guess, giggling. I, I don't think I have the same effect on people. That's for darn sure. But it was a, such a pleasure. I got to be on a panel with her for the uh, the Trochier Public Science Symposium. So we were on a panel together this afternoon. We had lunch together. We had cocktails uh, later on in the evening and then we attended a lecture. If you want to see her, you still can. Tomorrow night, she will be at the Centre Mont-Royal on Sherbrooke. She's uh, uh, going to be speaking at 7 p.m. It's open to the public. It's uh, part of the Trottier uh, Public Science Symposium. It's uh, uh, something they do every year to bring science to the masses, basically. It's a, a wonderful uh, it's just a wonderful organization put on um, with, uh, obviously, with uh, Dr. Joe Schwartz from the McGill uh, Science uh, Department. Uh, so that's happening tomorrow evening. You can still go. Uh, you can also see her on Thursday night. She will be speaking at the Shar Shemayim Synagogue in Westmount. Tickets there, though, it's not public. It's $36, and you can get your tickets at the door. So you still have a chance to see her. Now, you're probably wondering, like, why aren't I interviewing her? She will be on uh, with Aaron Rand tomorrow, and she's doing a few other radio interviews. But I, I specifically decided not to ask for an interview right now, uh, like, j- while she's here, because I knew how she was just crazy busy uh, running from this place to that place and she's 91 years old and I wanted to respect uh, her uh, her schedule a little bit and not put too much uh, too much pressure however we spent quite a bit of time together and had a good chance to chat and I will uh, do an interview with her in the coming weeks after she finishes her travels and she settles back into her apartment in New York. Uh, then we will talk. But in the meantime, you can watch her documentary, and that's what we'll, uh, I will interview her about, is a documentary called Ask Dr. Ruth. It's available on iTunes. I haven't seen it yet, but I will. I'll, I'll see it before I interview her. And uh, But Dr. Joe saw it and a few other people saw it and said it was absolutely fantastic. She has a, a wonderful story, a wonderful history, so much to say. I mean, she has so much to say. It's She's such a delight to uh, just to listen to and listen to all her, her stories. So it was, um, it was quite an honor and a thrill. More than anything, it was a real thrill to be able to, uh, to hang out with her. Uh, so again, tomorrow night, free lecture open to the public at the Saint Montréal in uh, on Sherbrooke Street. I think it's a, a thousand Sherbrooke Street West for the Trottier Public Science Symposium. It's at 7 p.m. 
And uh, today, tonight was a full house, by the way. There was uh, standing room only, so if you do go, go early, <laughs> I can tell you that. And it's part of the series um, Longing for Longevity and uh, got to hear uh, Dr. David uh, Sinclair uh, tonight talking. He's a, um, a geneticist, a genetic scientist um, at from Harvard University who also uh, wrote an interesting book that I just ordered, so I'll tell you about that. But uh, fascinating, just fascinating stuff. Uh, I just love the science part of life. All right, let me answer a couple of your questions. And after 10.15, we talk a lot about uh, compulsive porn use, or I get a lot of questions about that. So I am going to be uh, speaking with um, Ellie Nash, who is a successful CEO. He's a, a, an ex-addict, and he's, uh, he's done a, a, some TED Talks on the subject, and he's going to share his story of healing. He's in town for um, Chabad Lifeline's film series evening, the uh, Au Contraire Film Festival, which is all about mental health. So we're going to have him on the line after 10.15, hopefully. And then the rest of the time, we'll just uh, chat and I'll answer some of your questions. And uh, of course, you're always welcome to send in some of your comments as well. Uh, this one by email, which you can send to me anytime to laurie at drlaurie.com. Hi, I listen to your show often and it is interesting. I've always been intrigued about gay male strip clubs where men dance naked exclusively for other uh, other men. Women are not allowed to go to gay, gay male strip clubs except on ladies' nights. Are there female strip clubs where women dance naked exclusively for other women and where no men are allowed in the audience. I've just, I just have not heard of such bars. I have not heard of any, um, at all. Uh, but tomorrow night is our LGBTQ panel. So I'm going to put it out to them. They might be more familiar with what goes on in the gay village. And if there's anything, uh, anything doing there, we can talk about that. So, um, I've not heard if anybody out there has been to an all-female uh, strip club for women, so for, for gay women basically is what you're asking, then let me know. 514-800 to, uh, to text in. Uh, well, here's uh, another porn question. As I said, we get them a lot. Uh, my husband is addicted to porn. I have very recently discovered he is now using live porn online so i'm assuming that's like interacting with cam girls and such is that as bad as i think thank you uh well is that as bad as you think i mean he's interacting with someone else how, how do you feel about it so if you feel really badly about it and if this is something you are not okay with then you must say that you are not okay with this i'm not sure when you say he's addicted to porn uh, what does that mean? So, because I get letters from people saying, you know, my husband watches every day, but he watches five minutes every day, or he masturbates every day, and that he's he's addicted. It, that's not how addiction works. It has to it has a much greater impact on one's life. It interferes in relationships. It interferes in in your life. It makes you feel awful about yourself. It makes you feel full of uh, shame. Uh, all of that. So there's a whole, um, uh, there are all kinds of consequences or, or um, uh, feelings and, and things that go around the addiction. Is he go turning to porn rather than turning to you 
for sex. In other words, is he neglecting you while he's spending a lot of time on porn? That's a problem. That uh, definitely becomes a relationship problem. He is, at this point, if that's happening, disconnected from you. So that is the problem. That disconnect is um, is the problem. So I would say if you think he has a problem, ask him to seek help. Um, actually Chabad Lifeline, they're a wonderful organization that deal with all kinds of addiction. I send people there all the time and work closely with them. So that's a possibility as well. So coming up, we're going to talk to, uh, Ellie Nash. Uh, he's uh, going to be in Montreal. He's part of the Au Contraire Film Festival. He's uh, telling his story uh, as part of a film series evening, uh, his healing story from sex addiction. So we'll reach out to him next and then uh, I'll answer more of your questions. From the pleasure and the politics to the hangups and the heartbreak, you're listening to Passion, CJD 800. So if you've been listening to the show long enough, you know how many questions I get about compulsive porn use or sex addiction questions several times a week for sure. Um, coming up this week, uh, there's something called the Au Contraire Film Festival, focusing on films that have to do with uh, mental health issues. And Chabad Lifeline is part of that film series uh, evening, and they're a wonderful, wonderful organization that deal with all kinds of, uh, of addictions, and uh, I'll give out the number a little bit later on. But here to talk to us uh, about compulsive sexuality is uh, Ellie Nash. He's a successful CEO. He's an ex-addict. He's a, a TED Talk presenter, and he will be sharing uh, his story along with his wife at the um, this evening, the Chabad Lifelines evening. Ellie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Laurie. Pleasure. So just uh, tell us a little bit about your healing uh, through this, or let's actually, let's start from the beginning. How did you know this was a problem for you? Well, I didn't probably for about close to 15 years of engaging in these behaviors. I had some guilt around it, but you know, pornography, which eventually turned into regular strip club visits and, um, escalated beyond that was just something that I enjoyed and I didn't have any reason to stop. Uh, So I didn't know until I tried to stop. And when I tried to stop, I just saw how difficult it was. And all of these behaviors were going on while you were in a relationship? That's when I tried to stop, when I got into a relationship. Okay. And then you found it difficult to stop doing that? Correct. Even though you had a regular... Sorry, even though you had a regular sex partner? Oh, yeah. It has nothing to do with that. Right. what What we're looking for is a... Um, addict. You know, one of the things that really had an impression on me uh, was a video I saw online of a porn star explaining why she left the industry. And what she said was that she walked in on her boyfriend watching porn. Mm-hmm. And what she realized in that moment was that pornography and sex are two different things, right? Until then, she said, oh, I'm more attractive than other women. And therefore, men all over the world are masturbating to pictures of me. Right. And then she realized the one person that she actually wanted to have sex with is also masturbating to pictures just of somebody else. 
Right. What we're looking for over there is that intimacy because the intimacy scares the shit out of us. Right. Well, well, that's right. There is a difference between sexuality and pornography or what you're getting from pornography than what you're getting from a, a, a relationship. There's no question about that. So how did you start the healing process? Uh, 12 steps was, was a real, uh, game changer for me. Okay. And what about within your relationship? Did, did you work with your partner with this or? Yeah. So within the relationship was interesting. We started dating in, uh, April of 2012, um, over the course of the next 11 months was me realizing, me trying to stop for three months. I said the first three months I was with her, I was fine. And it was one of the first times in my life that I just, I stopped engaging in these behaviors and didn't even think about it hmm. until something went wrong in the relationship. I don't say it went wrong. We had a slight disagreement. Um, and then everything came back. And the more I did, the worse I felt and the worse I felt, the more I needed to do. Right. And the cycle continued, and as I said, okay, I got to try to stop. And when I tried to stop, it became even worse. In and that in that moment, Ellie, what did you discover about yourself and your ability to handle certain situations, and what that was serving you? What purpose was that serving you? What purpose was what serving? Well, going to the addiction and going going back to these uh, these behaviors. Just numbing. Numbing. Numbing, right. escaping. Yeah. Right. And I think people need to understand that is is the it's not about the pleasure, it's about the escaping something else. Yeah. What there was there was a point in time where I was doing it because I wanted to stop thinking about doing it. Mm. And that's when I realized um just how how much help I need to kick this and I'm not going to be able to do it alone because I was there was a thought would go off in my head saying, go, go to porn, go watch porn. I'm like, no, I don't want to watch porn. I want to work. And I would just watch porn, watch porn, watch porn. And I would go there not because I wanted to, not for the pleasure of it, but just so that voice in my head would stop saying to watch it. I was like, wow, I've got to figure this out. Mm-hmm. You know, that- the, the really great thing is that there are so many people who have. You called me an ex-addict. I wouldn't use that term. I still mm-hmm. consider myself an addict. I still okay. consider myself addic- addicted and urges come up. But the great thing is is that there's so many people who have recovered from porn addiction and a lot of them are willing to share to share with mm-hmm. others and that's I found a community and the twelve steps was a lot of that was finding that community of people who've kicked it and then just asking them, like, can you tell me how you did it? And as stuff come up, you know, no one's story is exactly mine. Right. But there's no part of my story totally unique right so talking to 40 or 50 people I can find every aspect of my story right so now what kind of coping mechanisms have you put in place like what did you learn um, how to, in terms of how to handle certain emotions so that you didn't have to numb out well to feel feelings I had to there was an association I had with um, emotional pain as negative and a new association I had to make was, you know, physical pain we don't think of as negative. Physical pain we intuitively think of as it's telling us that something is wrong that needs to be dealt with. Right. Right. Our instinct, if our arm is really hurting, is not to say, okay, let me put a painkiller in my arm so I don't feel it anywhere. It's like maybe there's something wrong. Maybe there's a bone broken or a mm-hmm. sprain or something else that needs to be treated. 
And there was this aha moment I had one day to say, hey, physical pain and emotional pain are exactly the same. But for whatever reason, we're taught that emotional pain is something negative that we have to avoid when it's not that. It's just something communicating that it has to be dealt with. And in the same way that if we delay physical pain by continuously numbing it, all we're doing is making the problem worse. Right. The same is true with emotional pain. That's a good point. That's that's actually an excellent uh, analogy. Do you think also it's because people fear going to see uh, emotional, you know, for their emotional pain, psychologists, psychiatrists, uh, that there's still a stigma around uh, mental health and and around getting help for mental health issues. Sure, yeah. sure, there can be. There was in my, there was in my world. I know there aren't in others, but I would say this: I was seeing a psychologist for five or six years and lying to him about. Oh my wow! Use. Okay. So the stigma isn't there anymore for me, but. You know, I certainly was protecting the addiction right? Um, until I finally asked. Ellie, uh, we're speaking with uh, Ellie Nash, who is, will be sharing his story at Chabad Lifeline's film series evening coming up. Uh, well, I, listen, listening to you, I've heard this uh, very similar story from so many people. <laughs> like, you're right. Everybody shares a, a similar thread in all of this, but I think the, the, your message is that you can, you can heal and find other ways of coping. Well, I think there's a tremendous stigma around sex addiction Mm -hmm. and for someone to acknowledge that they're a sex addict, um, scares them. It's misunderstood. If someone says, am I a sex addict? Does that mean they're going to start humping your leg or something like that? And it's (laughs) no, it doesn't mean it any more than if someone says that an alcoholic, they're going to break into a store and steal the alcohol. Right, right. Two different things. It's just that someone really needs the alcohol. And I think that if we, and they use it to escape. Yes. That's all. And that's, you know, for me, I was using pornography to escape. It didn't mean anything more than that. And if we can shatter some of the stigma, a lot of people can get help. You know, one of the things I've been thinking about is that when I was a teenager, I had to jump through hoops in order to access pornography. Mm -hmm. This is over 20 years ago. Right at that time, there wasn't. If I wanted to watch, if I wanted to get a porn magazine, I wanted to. I had to find a bodega or a store which would sell to someone underage. Right. If I wanted to watch it at home, I had to use the computer in my family's living room to access it, and then everyone else would be sharing that. And today, the average teenager has to have blocks on their phone, almost jump through hoops to avoid seeing pornography. That's quite true. Right. So. Right. I think that there's an important message that a lot of sex addicts um, like myself have to share with with almost everyone about um, how damaging some of this stuff is. Pornography is affecting many, many people, and there are a few like me who are talking about it because it's, it's really beat us up so bad that we've asked for help and said, hey, I'm a sex addict. Mm-hmm. But if someone is you know, using it every so often in their relationship, it's affecting their relationship, maybe mildly so, but it's got to be affecting Right. But we also have to remember that it, we we turn to uh, porn as you might turn to some other numbing out activity or drug or what have you. So just I don't believe porn causes it. But if you are already uh, feeling the way you're feeling and looking to escape, it's right there. So it certainly facilitates 
the escaping, and then it draws you in, and then you become addicted. So for sure. Ellie, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I really, uh, really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity, and I hope we're able to uh, help someone who's listening in today. I'm sure. Thank you again. Uh, bye-bye now. Uh, Ellie Nash will be, uh, I don't want to say performing, but sharing his story at Chabad Lifeline's film series evening. So you can go on their website and find out, although I think they're pretty much uh, sold out right now. Passion with Dr. Lori Batito on CJAD 800. Trouble Tuesday tonight on the program. Your chance to ask any question. Uh, 514-800. We have Sean on the line at 514-790-0800. Hi, Sean. Thank you for being so patient. That's okay. You're welcome, Marie Brutito. Yes. What can I do for you? Uh, Yeah, I would like to know why they changed the term STD to STI. Is that... Uh, political correctness? No, it, no, it, it's not political at all. Um, so sexually transmitted diseases shows the reason why they went from disease to infection is because the word disease suggests that there is a, a clear uh, like medical problem that you can see. However, there are many STDs or sexually transmitted infections that have no signs or symptoms in many people who are infected. So, or they have mild signs that can be um, overlooked. So now they, in the last few years or so, it's been quite a while, um, they describe the sexually transmitted virus or bacteria, because it's either a virus or a bacteria, and they uh, describe it as creating an infection. The infection may or may not result in uh, in disease. So uh, like chlamydia, gonorrhea, herpes, human papillomavirus, they can all be asymptomatic. So you might have the infection without it uh, flaring out into an obvious disease. And so this is why they, uh, they changed it. And even further... They're using now something, uh, another acronym, STBBI, so Sexually Transmitted Infections and Bloodborne Infections. Sexually Transmitted and Bloodborne Infections as well. So uh, as the medical community, you know, starts to uh, evolve and know a, a bit more, and they readjust, and so this is why they call it that. I hope that answers your question. Thanks so much for calling, Sean. Appreciate it. Uh, 514-800 if you would like to text in your uh, question. So I've got a few. I want I do want to talk about borderline personality, but I, I have a couple of uh, here that I want to just share. Uh, hi, Dr. Lori. First, I'd like to say that I love your show and I listen to the podcast since I go to sleep early. So thank you so much for that resource. Just sideline for anybody who misses shows and you want to catch up or you want to see which topics interest you. If you go to my website, drlori.com, and you uh, click on the uh, Passion Radio All the podcasts from all the past shows are there. Uh, You can listen to them on SoundCloud, and you just listen to them at your own leisure. I am a female in my early 20s, and I've been in a relationship with the love of my life for three years. 
we disagree about certain body decorations, such as piercings and tattoos. I'm not a fanatic. I only have one tattoo on each ankle right now. I got my nose pierced, but it fell out and down the drain, and I decided not to get it re-pierced because he didn't find it attractive. My problem is that I would like two, maybe three more tattoos, and he is very against this. I think this they would be tasteful, flowers on my thigh, words on my side. He gets angry every time I mention it, and he has even said if I wanted tattoos everywhere, I should break up with him. I know it is my body and I can do as I wish, but I also value what is attractive to my partner because I see us together forever, and it doesn't seem logical to make my body less attractive to him, so I don't know whether I should fight for it or let it go to prevent damaging my relationship. I tell you, I have some mixed feelings about this, to be honest. I, 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 I don't have a clear answer for you. Maybe other people could maybe talk about this or, or see what they, what they think. Like I, I, I'm of two, two minds here. First of all, it is your body. And if this is something that you want to do and you feel strongly about doing and you really like, um, you know, I, I, I react to a partner who uh, tells me uh, like what to do, right? Like that, that it, it's a, it sounds a bit controlling. I'm not saying he is, or he's maybe just expressing, look, I just don't like, uh, don't like tattoos. So it's a decision like only, only you can make. I can tell you what I did, and my husband did not like uh, tattoos. Um, not me. He wasn't as str- didn't feel as strongly. In other words, uh, leave me if you're going to get tattoos. But he's also exaggerating your your partner here, saying getting tattoos everywhere. You're not getting tattoos everywhere. You're getting subtle tattoos. But I wanted one, and I got one. I, I was in my fifties when I got one. Uh, but I decided to get one anyway um, because I wanted it, and it meant something to me. And in the end, my husband actually liked it. He said, "Oh, that's kind of nice." And a few years later, he got one. <laughs> so, like things change, you know. Uh, so, is it, like let's put it in perspective as well, right? We're we're what are we talking about here? Let's put things into life life perspective. So. So I'm of two minds, really. Uh, I, I get it if he doesn't find it, if he finds it repulsive or he finds it very unattractive. I don't know. What do other people think about this? I, I'd really I'd really get this. Well, Just Drew said some tattoos can be pretty ugly and the nose ring is definitely gross. Okay. I mean, look, I, I think we all have our... We all have our feelings about body modification and things that we do to our bodies. And the same could be like, what if you, what if you're somebody who desperately wants to get a nose job or a boob job or something, and it's for you, for making you feel better, um, wouldn't you want your partner to support those? Unless it's like extreme stuff, obviously, then, then that's a, a whole other ballgame. Uh, all right, I, I'm gonna. St- I want to start talking about this uh, borderline personality, and then I'll get to some of your other questions. Because this person writes in, I'm in a one-year relationship with a woman I suspect has borderline personality disorder. I'm crazy about her, but she's like Jekyll and Hyde. Is there hope, or am I in a no-win situation? So, for people who don't know, like borderline personality disorder is is a very complex mental health issue. Um, sometimes the the diagnosis given when it's hard to know what is going on. But generally speaking, 
you're talking about people who have difficulty regulating or handling their emotions or controlling their impulses. They're usually highly sensitive to what is going on around them. They react very intensely uh, to small changes in their uh, environment. It, it, it feels like they're on an emotional uh, roller coaster and they uh, sometimes have, a, it's really difficult to cope with this kind of pain. So uh, it's also common for people with a borderline personality to have other mental health issues like, like depression, uh, sometimes substance abuse, eating disorders, uh, different addictions, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, social phobias, anxieties, bipolar disorder. So it's hard to, it's complex because it really is difficult to diagnose because there's other, sometimes other things that are, uh, are going on. So I want to get into it a little bit more so you understand this. Uh, so coming up, let me share with you some of the common uh, symptoms or um, characteristics of borderline personality disorder, and then you can decide, and we can talk about uh, the treatments that are out there for this. This is Passion on CJAD 800. Trouble Tuesdays, last uh, little bit here to uh, answer some of your questions, but one question that required uh, requires a little more thought and um, detail is uh, somebody who's dealing with a, a, a partner who they believe is borderline personality uh, disordered, or as they call it, Jekyll and Hyde. So I just want to give you a little bit of the, some of the symptoms, although they, they certainly vary depending on all kinds of things, and they can fluctuate over time they're not it's not you know you don't have to have all of these uh these these symptoms in in one time at uh, one time but uh let, we're talking about things like intense but short-lived bouts of anger depression or anxiety which you can imagine makes a, a person feel very uh, like on a roller coaster or Jekyll and Hyde-ish um, emptiness associated with loneliness and neediness um, sometimes, um, could be dissociative states, states where you kind of shut off painful thoughts or feelings, uh, self image that can sometimes change depending on whom the person is with sometimes impulsive and harmful behaviors like, uh, uh substance abuse, overeating, high risk sexual behaviors, and cutting behavior like non-suicidal self injury kind of things it it um have, has often been described as kind of bringing relief from intense emotional pain so giving yourself physical pain release relieves you from the intense emotional pain this we usually see more in um in adolescence but it's a very common uh common behavior uh, unfortunately, of course, uh, suicide is, uh, or attempted suicide, about 10% of people with borderline personality disorder take their own lives. That's kind of scary, which is why we need to, uh, treat this and recognize it. There's an intense fear often of being abandoned, uh, or, uh, being alone. And that can 
the abandonment can be from family, even from a therapist, from partners, all of that. Um, a lot of impulsive and emotionally volatile uh, behaviors, which can obviously scare a partner. Uh, and it, oftentimes they have volatile and stormy interpersonal relationships. So uh, they go from like idealizing to, to hatred. It's a lot of black and white thinking. So all good, all bad. Um, it's again, like I said, it's very, very complex and varies from person to person, but thankfully it is, we know more about it today. There are borderline personality disorder groups and uh, treatment, um, places where, where it's specific to, uh, to this. So thankfully we have uh, much more of that in treatment programs and because we can recognize it better. And uh, so seeking help is, uh, is really, really important. Some of the kinds of help uh, like cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, um, psychotherapy, just traditional psychotherapy. There's uh, all of this is, is important and, and medication sometimes, uh, especially if there's, uh, if there's depression or, uh, like some bipolarity where there's like extremes on both ends. So that can reduce at least the severity of the symptoms. It, it doesn't necessarily, it's not a, a cure, but it is a, a management. So generally speaking, we're talking about managing this, uh, this mental illness. So I hope that kind of, I mean, it's in a nutshell, so there's uh, far more to say about this, but that's it. That's in a nutshell. Another question being asked, uh, does a curved penis change the feeling in intercourse for women? Can it be fixed? So it all depends what you mean by a curve. So if it has the curve always been there. So for a lot of men, they, they, there's a slight curve that can go to the right or to the left. Um, and that's normal. That's just part of a normal penis. If it, it's suddenly curving or there has been a gradual curve and the curve makes it difficult for penetration, then we're talking about something else. Like if there's been an injury to the penis, there could be scar tissue. It's a condition called Peyronie's disease that can be treated. Um, there's some things that they can do to, to help that. But if it's just a natural, uh, curve without a kink in it, like it's, you know, it's, uh, like a banana rather than like the letter, uh, what the letter C or R or a little R or whatever it is, like if it's not that that uh, significant, then it's it it shouldn't cause a problem. In fact, some women actually like the curve because it it hits certain spots that a straight penis won't hit. So if you look at sex toys for women, G spot stimulators, for example, for women all have a curve in it to be able to get to that area. So it might be quite the opposite that it might be more pleasurable, not less pleasurable. And when, um, if you have a curve in your penis, you adjust yourself, uh, when it comes to penetration so that it, it you can enter properly and then you find the position that works. Um, so fixing it, there's no fixing a curved penis. There is fixing one that has scar tissue, which is uh, two very different things. 
And uh, last question, I'm not sure how really to answer this, but what's the difference between a pervert and a sex addict? But what's a pervert today? Uh, when we, I don't use the word pervert. So if you're talking about a perversion, are we talking about something, someone who's doing things uh, that are illegal, that are like when I hear the word pervert, I tend to think of someone who is doing something um, uh, like against someone's will or against their, uh, without consent, for example. Like, uh, but again, I, I, it's not a word that I use, so, but it's just what comes to mind, like a flasher or uh, somebody who is a pedophilic or uh, something like that. Even though it's not a word we use, uh, in, at least in, in, in medical terms, we don't use the word pervert. So I, I'm not even quite sure, but when we're talking about a, a sex addict, again, uh, the addiction could be to many different kinds of behaviors. So uh, if you're just talking about uh, pornography use and I don't know what, why would this be called a um, a perversion. So I'll have to get you the actual definition. I want to look it up and just get you the, the exact definition. So I'll save that one for tomorrow. But, um, you know, the definition of a, of a perversion rather than a, a pervert. Uh, and then you'll be able to dis- see the, the, the distinction between those two but there is a there is clearly a difference between those two things this is one text writes perverts look under the door in the bathroom so really yeah it's exactly what i what i was thinking people who are doing things that are creepy because they are they're not with consenting individuals right so that would kind of fit the bill okay get that uh, that's it for tonight. Of course, you can send in your questions anytime. So, Lori at drlori.com, send them in to me. I will answer them at the beginning of, uh, of every show. And remember, you can pick up all past shows by going to that to, to my page or my website and then pick up all the, the, the podcasts that are there. Or go on SoundCloud or iHeartRadio. There's many, many places where you can pick up the podcast as well. On social media, you can find me at Dr. Lori Batito. My last name is spelled B-E-T-I-T-O. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for uh, your letters and, and your text messages and your phone calls. And of course, thanks to our wonderful technical producer, Aaron Lakoff. Coming up next here on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a wonderful rest of the evening and remember to live your life with passion. Just dance.